Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and children of all ages. This is Jason Bailey. And I am your Dave Beaudry. And welcome to another wonderful, exciting, historic episode of One Day Closer to Dead. I'm telling you, this is going to be a wonderful, wonderful episode. We have a real humdinger for you. Dave, how are you doing over there in La La Land, my friend? I'm doing all right, Jason. I'm just curious as to why today is going to be a historic episode. I've never heard you speak in such hyperbolic terms before. Nicely done on the intro. Nicely done on the intro, sir. I see why I do it most of the time, but still, not bad. Well, the thing is that if you throw it to me, it's going to sound an awful lot like Jason's hideout. But uh, I like it when you're the straight man. And I'm the gay man. I mean, the uh, color column. I mean, the uh, Jason Bailey of the situation. But uh, yeah, Dave, it's it's going to be a pretty good show. I think we have uh, some really, really good topics to talk about. How's your migraine, buddy? Did it get better since uh, last week? Uh, at the moment, humidity's kind of skyrocketing again overnight. So we'll see how I'm doing tomorrow. But at the moment, it is uh, it is holding strong. So that is uh, that is a good thing. I know why it's a historic episode. It's because you're so I have not heard you as excited for an episode since we were talking about the Snyder Cut. You are so excited to talk about WrestleMania. Oh, my God. Well, unfortunately, we are going to have to get into that just a little fucking bit uh, in our feedback section here at the very, very beginning. The Snyder Cut or WrestleMania? well, fucking, I guess not WrestleMania. Fuck WrestleMania. That's the thing that we'll do later, I guess. But oh. um, there are there are things that we do need to get to nut crunching time here at the beginning on our our feedback, my friend. I think I got all my devices here that I've got this bullshit in. You know, we always ask you guys out there the dozens and dozens and dozens for feedback, and it's perplexing to me that sometimes we think, you know what. We're going to get some good feedback on this episode, and we get very little, sometimes none. Then there's other times we get tons of feedback on, like, you you don't own your content episode, where you contacted us. And I don't know if you know this, Dave. We've really become the last bastion, the kind of, I don't know, the, the champion now. We have to champion this cause for physical media. We are now being cited by a lot of our listeners as going out and purchasing DVDs, Blu-rays, CDs, vinyl, and the players thereof, these these forms of media, because of our show. Can you believe that, sir? Absolutely. That's why we are America's favorite niche cop. Excuse me. That's why we are the world's favorite niche podcast. There you go. And speaking of the world, I want to do a big thank you and shout out to Paris, France. Paris, we love you. It, it's 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 love at first sight. I don't know, uh, Dave. I'm not sure if you've been to Paris. Uh, no. I have. I only went there because I'm a Superman two and Highlander the series mark. But nevertheless, I did see the Mona Lisa and, and stuff like that. So, quick. but Paris, thank you so very much for loving us the way you do. Yes, Dave. Qu- well, quick question. I, I lived in Youngstown, Ohio, for like eight years. Is that similar? No. Oh, not even then, close. Then no, no, I haven't. Uh, and and the thing is that uh, our two most uh, listened, the city with the most listeners to, uh, that listen to our favorite niche podcast ourselves here internationally is Dublin, Ireland and Paris, France now. They're in a bidding war for who loves us the most. So keep it up. We could incite some sort of war. I don't know, you know, over who loves us the most, Dave. But thank you very much, Paris. You are our number one international city last week. And uh, that's basically speaking of the world's favorite niche podcast. And here is some more wonderful feedback from the dozens. We have a lot of feedback, a lot of shout outs, a lot of stuff to get to, buddy. I, I, 
I hate to break it to you, Dave. Well, that's that's why you're doing the show open, <laughs> sir. Uh, well, there it is. Hey, we want to literally have a shout out to our good friend, Kike. Kike actually was doing something he doesn't usually do, which is physical exertion. He was going hiking out there somewhere, I believe in Spain. Uh, I'm sure they've got some hiking something out there equivalent to uh, Malibu State Park. I don't know. And uh, he actually got an injury, Dave, and broke his ankle. We're so sorry about the... Yeah, it was bad. He's already been through surgery, and it's going to be a a three-month recovery period. He actually had to, uh, unfortunately turned down a series that he was going to star in because of this injury. So not just a physical problem, but a, you know, a career situation too. And uh, it goes to show you, don't be like Jason. Don't exercise. Don't brush your teeth. You're just going to die. Please stop with the physical exertion. Anyway, we we wish you, I know we wish you a speedy recovery, uh, but at least this next three months gives you plenty of time to listen to your favorite niche podcast. I don't think. And also, I don't think that's much of a ahead. consolation, but continue. It's a fucking consolation, son. That's the way it's going to go on that one. Anyway, here's here's some more uh, feedback we got. I sent you some of this, Dave, just you know, to, to lift your spirits because I know that just like uh, just like me, we both suffer from a little bit of the the blues sometimes. But uh, we got a lot of uh, people out there saying coming to us on this wonderful last week saying that uh, we're a very, very good podcast. We're a great podcast. All these nice little things that they say. And uh, also, I don't know if you know this, speaking of physical media, we are the reason that several people last week said they're actually going to go out and find Lethal Weapon, the entire franchise box set, and The Last Boy Scout on DVD or Blu-ray. So we are the reason that these purchases are happening all over the world for, for our love for the Lethal Weapon franchise. And uh, I just thought you'd be happy about that, buddy. Fantastic. Shane Black can send those uh, upcoming residual checks directly uh, to One Day Closer to Dead. Uh, <laughs> P.O. Box, Ask Dave and Jason at Excite.com. Let me tell you something. Shane Black, I forgot to put this in the little trivia situation last week. Uh, do you, you know this probably, Dave. I forget what you know and what you don't on the whole movie trivia shit. Do you know that Shane Black is actually one of the, uh, the military guys in Predator? Yeah, that's he also directed the most recent one, which I wasn't a fan of, but yeah. I, I fucking didn't know this at all until very recently that he's the guy that says, hey, hey, my girlfriend, she recently told me that she'd like a... a, a like a little pussy, a smaller pussy. I said, why? She goes, mine's as big as a house. I don't know. It's it's just amazing that uh, Shane Black was in Predator around about the same time that he wrote the greatest movie of all time, Lethal Weapon. So good job, Shane Black. I can't keep him. The, he's got the glasses and reads the comic books versus the other guy that got gutted too in the film. I, they, they're pretty interchangeable to me. But He, dir- uh, he, he anyway. directed Iron Man 3 as well. I just think Shane Black's awesome. Apparently, this is I, I need to know a lot more about him. And uh, the most we'll, recent, we'll sure the that... most recent Predator movie, though. Mm, no, oh, not so much. Not, not so much not Shane. Good. Not so much Shane. But uh, at any rate, hey, that was some good feedback that we got. But Perry 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 is one of our platinum members. He listens to us all the time, and he writes. Just finished your podcast episode entitled The Internet. It is one of your better episodes, although you are definitely telegraphing your age on that one. I also enjoyed the Napster shout out. It was the golden age of pirated music. 
Thank you, Perry Perry. Thank you very much for that. Do you think that we telegraphed our age with that one? Well, I'm curious to know if, if he had gotten our podcast off of a licensed service or if he had downloaded it illegally from a third-party website. <laughs> well, that's... That's sort of what I mean. I, I just listen, folks. I mean, it is what it is. I don't hide my age. And one of the funniest things is, I mean, there's that nothing like... to hide about 55, Jason. <clears throat> and, and I'll tell you another thing. It's just it's just one of those deals where I like, you know, talking about my relationship with with technology. I really do. OK, so there, there's just nothing better, nothing better than that. And I like making fun of myself. So. It is what it is. That's that's now, one of the great things that we have in common is we both very much enjoy making fun of you. Well, okay, dickhead, here is some what? more feedback. And this one, unfortunately, I really didn't want to read it, but I, I, I will. I will read it. Another one of our Platinum members here, my personal Lando Calrissian, Julian King, writes about an episode called The Snyder Cut. This, this hurts me to actually read. I just heard the Snyder Cut episode. Unfortunately for you, Jason, I am on Team Dave on this one. I could uh, write an entire dissertation on why this film was fantastic. The worst part is thinking of it, it that it came out when it was slated before Infinity War and Endgame because it would have rocketed DC to be on par with the Marvel Universe. Ha-ha! I just decided to do that to throw it into your face a little bit, Jason. That's all. Thank you, Julian. Thank well, you for the feedback. L- listen, it's one, of, it's one of these things where it's not that I hated it. It's I didn't give a shit. Anyway, Julian King did write a dissertation. And I mean, it's, it's gorgeous. It's biblical. It's astronomical. It's just glorious in, in its form. It's so long, I simply couldn't read it on the air. But if anyone wants it, I guarantee you, you can contact us at that little-known email address. Dave, what is that email address again? <clears throat> Ask Dave and Jason at Excite.com because, well, goddammit, the Snyder Cut is exciting. There you go. So the thing is that if you want it, you just email me and I'll send it to you. And it's basically a more intelligent version of what Dave was saying. Impossible. So thank you. Yeah, no, believe me, very possible, son. <laughs> very possible. Julian I don't King, doubt thank you very much for the dissertation. And, you know, we chalked it up today. He called me. He said, look, man, it is what it is. I said, I think people are taking this way too seriously. I just didn't give a shit. My Batman has already come and fucking gone. It's okay. It's the graphic novels from the 80s. It's the Michael Keaton Batman movies. And it's the animated series. And I'm fucking old man done. I have my media. That's my Batman. All of you can have the crazy Ben Affleck Batman that kills people and is dark and shit. I don't fucking care. That's not my Batman. Okay. Adam West wasn't even my Batman. That's my Batman, is that 80s, 90s shit, possibly very early 2000s, if you're including the Justice League uh, animated series and, you know, Batman Beyond. That's it. That's it. I've had my Batman. I've had my day in the sun. I'm fucking good. So all of you can have your bullshit, Batman. I've got the good shit. You have the bullshit. So yes, that sounds very much like you don't care at all, Jason. I don't give a fuck. No sour grapes to grind there. There is no sour grapes whatsoever, okay? None. 
But uh, anyway, that is a lot of feedback and shout outs. And I really, really thank everybody out there. Dave, do you have anything that you'd like to add on all that good stuff? They, they really love you. Let's put it that way. No, not really. Yeah, well, that's what I figured, asshole. So <laughs> Again, anyway, it goes back to Major League. He's not the best play-by-play man in the league for nothing, folks, or whatever that is. Uh, that's pretty My much, God, Euchre was great in those films. But thank no, you very Bob much for Uecker's the feedback. Amazing. Thank you very much for listening. Always appreciated. Oh, absolutely dozens. Thank you so much. And But what's interesting is, Dave, it just took a while for the feedback to get to us on, you know, weeks gone by episodes. Well, so I mean, in fairness, I, we are using an Excite email. <laughs> well, there you go. See, I didn't even think about that. Maybe I put in the wrong kind of gasoline. I, I kick the computer and I yell at it, and sometimes it spits out the information we need. But hey, guys, thank you. Thank you very much. Those emails but come anyway, in at only, tw- at only 12 minutes a page. I, this is a true story. I've told it before about that, our, our fucking Excite email. When I log into it, it always uh, flashes a screen that basically says unable to recognize user or password it sits there for a second and then lets me in and then it says downloading application and it, it you sit there for like about mm, 20 seconds and then everything pops up that, now that's i like it hey excite we love you we really love you thank you for being our longest running gimmick uh but that is what happens uh in 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 the modern age here of, of excite where i think we're the last members that have an excite email. That's account. that's why I have you deal with the email because I think Jason Bailey has uh, cotton candy on his computer. <laughs> All right, guys, let's get into it. Hey, Dave, did you know that the world is a fucking dumpster fire? What? Really? I mean, did you did you fucking know this? No, son? I had no idea. I should start listening to this podcast more. You really fucking should. Do you know why? It is a said dumpster fire. I'm going to just take a guess. Hmm. If I only had three guesses, mm-hmm. because it truly fucking is. Guesses one, two, and three. Yes. There you go. It truly fucking is. Now, for this wonderful podcast, and I'm going to get to it, we're going to have to go into the way, way, way back time machine. And talk about something from Jason Bailey's past. And we are out of time. So th- I'm just kidding. Go ahead, Jason. So everybody, just get your cup of hot chocolate and come around the fire. Uncle Jason's going to give you a fireside chat. Anyway, here's the deal. I had a friend a long time ago in Pittsburgh, Kansas. And this was probably in the 1980s. We're talking third grade, fourth grade, on into, well, probably the early 90s, okay? And before I moved to Johnson City. He was a friend of mine in Pittsburgh, Kansas, Frontenac, Kansas, and um, his name was John Collins, okay? Uh, John was amazing, even as a child. Uh, If you were to combine, let's say, Eddie Haskell and MacGyver into a human being, this is John Collins, okay? If I was forming a real-life A-team, one of the members would be John Collins. He's somebody that you could look at and go, listen, we need to take this porta potty and we need to turn it into a rocket ship, and we need to do this, like, mm, tomorrow. He's someone that could sit there and go, well, just give me a few minutes. And that's pretty much all he fucking needs to make it work. He's a fucking genius. 
He's like a speed typist. He's just, there's nothing that John couldn't do. He was like a, a genius on so many fucking levels, okay? However, John and I, even though we got along as friends, I always knew that there was something a little different about John. And the reason why is definitely because of something that uh, aforementioned I can't stand called religion. Um, he and his family, his family, and doctrinated him into this thing, was part of a religion that I had no fucking clue what it was. As a child, I didn't know if it was Jehovah's Witness. I didn't know if it was like being a Mormon. I had no fucking idea. All I knew was it wasn't Christianity as I fucking knew it, which I was being brainwashed into. It wasn't Catholicism as Edward knew it, which, of course, Josh and I fucking just corrupted his ass. It was something else entirely. And I didn't know what the hell it was, but... There were many things I knew that we couldn't include John on, like, you know, many events in my my later years, my early teenage years, uh, John would not be available to do. It, well, he wasn't able to watch unrestric, unrestricted television or movies. There were just things he wasn't allowed to say. It seemed like a very strict, controlled environment, his household. Uh, no music could be listened to unless I believe it was some sort of very niche uh religious type music. Uh, I don't know how to explain it, but uh, many times you just knew that John was not able to go to a movie with you if you and your friends were going or be able to participate and go into a certain store or whatever. And it was all based around his family's religion. <clears throat> one, I don't know if it was one night I spent the night with John on a Saturday night and, and slept over his house, but in the morning, it was definitely like Sunday morning. And so I was asked, I'm not even sure John remembers this, but I was asked to um, attend like services with him or something of this nature. Uh, go to church, uh, religion, blah, blah, blah. Which I didn't care because I thought, well, it's probably just Jesus stuff that I listen to every Sunday morning. So there you go. I remember this very clearly. We sat in his living room and his dad and mom were there and got a, I believe, a tape cassette and put it in the stereo system. And it was some recording of a man that I knew this had happened years before because I was savvy enough to understand recording, you know, what it sounded like at the time. And it was a lot of just uh, doomsday hell and brimstone shit coming out of the fucking, you know, hi-fi and uh, I just sat there and they, they sat there and listened to it as if the man was in their house, whoever was talking and nodded their heads. And I just thought, what the fuck is this? Like, where is the church bells and what's going on? I didn't know what the fuck I was listening to. But as years went on and I, I got older, I kind of lost touch with John. And when things were going on with Facebook and new social media and all this other bullshit came around that I did participate in a little bit, if you can believe it or not, Dave, uh, I got out of that real fucking quick. Uh, everything that I was doing in life, I didn't really include John anymore. And the reason why is, I mean, look at me. I'm basically fucking Satan incarnate. I, I mean, I look more like, you know, Anton LaVey every passing day. It's just one of those deals where everything that I was doing in my life, I was like, I don't know how religious he is or how far gone he's gone into his whatever he does, like, you know, it just seemed like religion controlled him to the point that he couldn't have an impure thought or he'd have to whip himself or something. So I just stayed the fuck away from John and I love the man. I, I fucking love John Collins. Anyway, 
All these years go by, all these decades go by later, and I get an email from John Collins. And the email says, connecting again. And I'm like, holy shit. Because unlike the rest of you normal people out there, I really do not have fucking social media to compare each other's fake lives. I, am, I enjoy my fake life being audible. So the thing is that when I looked at it, I was like, is this really the John Collins? And I looked it up and I said, yeah, yeah, it's me. And we went back and forth a little bit and caught up over the last several days. And his life has been fucking amazing. John, in about 2012, started to research his own religion and the thoughts behind it, where it came from. And like I said, I never fucking knew what the fuck his family was involved in. It come to find out, Dave, John, his family, was part of a Pentecostal, fundamentalist, doomsday cult called The Message. And this group called The Message uh, basically is the head religion behind the history of the Ku Klux Klan. Okay, he started to research who was behind these recordings and who was the central figure behind this cult. And it is a cult. And it was a gentleman named William Branham, William Branham. And I use gentlemen very fucking loosely. <laughs> My first thought, but, but anyway. But he, he literally set up this bullshit, hateful fucking religion here in this area, uh, somewhere in... Uh, Jefferson, Indiana, and uh, basically Indianapolis, Indiana, all this, all this area here, and was directly responsible for preaching uh, direct racism and the end of the world type shit uh, in all of these communities to the point that there was this subdivision of the Pentecostals called the message. Quick question. This, go ahead. Do you remember from the, the recording that you listened to when you were at his house when you were younger, do you remember anything that you would now look back on and perceive as some sort of like racist message um, in that particular session sermon recording? I don't remember because I'd already zoned the fuck out. I mean, at this time in my life, I was already zoning out of religion, period. I had sure. not become the atheist that I am now, but I was just remember thinking these people are fucking crazy they had a picture of a man on the wall now this i remember very well with a like a photo glimmer thing over his head which i came to find out later they they used as some kind of propaganda to show that this william branham was a angel or touched by god or what what have you what's even crazier is that as the years went on he he told his followers that he was the second coming of elijah the prophet of course and later on that he was jesus of course of course in 2012 john separated himself from this religion and i that's i don't even know if i can use that word this cult this fucking cult called The Message that has 2 million members, okay, and in over 50 countries. And it's, it's literally a number one recruiting ground for tons and tons of KKK officials and getting them in political fucking office. Uh, this man, William Branham, was in, pretty much in his heyday in the 40s, 50s, late 40s, I believe, to about the late 60s. And that's when all these recordings were taken where he's saying he's Elijah the prophet and he's fucking Jesus come back and blah, blah, blah into the world. He was really, really, really against 
interracial marriage, interracial babies, interracial birth, interracial motherfucking anything, okay? And uh, preached a lot of hatred and made sure that politicians who fucking hated blacks too got in office, particularly in the Ohio region, in, in, in Indiana, in Kentucky, all over the place. You want to know someone else that followed this man's teachings? Sure. Jim Jones, Jim Jones in the, in the late fifties was one of the members of this William Branham cult called the message. And we all know how that fucking turned out folks. So, I mean, this man is, you know, a piece of shit and he started his own fucking cult. Well, the, here's the amazing part. John was raised in this and found out his family was part of the hierarchy to get this information out and had a lot of money backing them to fucking do it. John literally started exposing his own fucking cult, religion, and family that he grew up in. That's tough. Okay. That's a, that's a tough uh, it's, journey. It's tough. But like I said, John is not a normal fucking human. He is like a fucking MacGyver cyborg, okay? And if you beat the, this sort of relentless discipline into children inside a cult and they're young and their heart like John's was so good. It could not be quieted and it could not be contained. What you've really built is a Terminator and the Terminator turned against Skynet and he really, really has fought back hard over the last eight years. He has started an, a basically a digital underground railroad to save members of the message from from this brainwashing and he has exposed ministers all over the country under the guise of Christianity or baptism or whatever as being part of this anti-black this this severely uh race hating mongering group of human beings that are trying to put politicians in charge again and still funding the KKK and still trying to get the KKK in power. Quick question, Jason. And go ahead. You may yeah. not be able to answer this, but it's just, I'll ask it while it's in my mind. I, and I don't know if it would have come up, even if it's something that he would have access to, but are you aware or did it come up in your correspondence? Um, how many or if any of these people were involved in law enforcement? Because I would find that no, curious. It, it, I did not, but I, I mean, certainly I can find out, but he went so far as he has started, of course, his own website. He had his own podcast. He had YouTube channels to fight, but he's also a technological genius. He owns his own software company, so he's independently wealthy and he's like a not so secret agent against fucking racism and this cult. Okay. He has written over 30 books. Okay, his his website, and I want to put it out there. Even if you don't care, you should at least look at the majesty that is John Andrew Collins, which is William Dash Branham B R A N H A M dot org to see exactly the entire history of this man, this cult, this pseudo religion, what it's led to, and how John is taking it down. He has had threats against his life that he himself had had to quell. He has his own research team. And here's something that's even more fucking insanely interesting. One of the number one ministers they took down happened in and around Johnson City, Tennessee. This area that I talk about all the time. Right. There's some fucking ministry called Happy Valley Ministry or Happy 
the happy ass ministry, whatever the fuck it's called. This guy was literally the most racist motherfucking minister in the entire country. And that's saying something John and his team exposed him for being part of this pro KKK and this pro Pentecostal fundamentalist, you know, prophecy of hatred and, and took him down. And I mean, they did a story on young Turks about it. And uh, I mean, it's just, as one of the hot young Turks said, and I mean, she is hot. I have to say she literally focus, said uh, for Jason. being someone from, Hey, I, I got to focus for being someone in happy Valley. He doesn't seem too motherfucking happy about a goddamn thing. He certainly wasn't just anti-black anti-fucking anything involving interracial anything. There, there should be a separation. They should be subjugated. What a piece of shit. John brought him down fucking with his team and literally to this day has an underground railroad to help people all over the world escape from this cult. I don't know how to say this without, I'm not, I'm trying not to cry. Okay. But I am so proud of this man uh, that he is somebody that was able to escape this sort of abuse, this, this childhood abuse and turn it around to save other people. We so many times cover in our dumpster fire, these segments that are just God awful. They're horrible. And at the end of it, Dave and I are just pissed and there it's like an impotent rage. We're, uh, we're fucking upset beyond belief and nothing but we don't know how to fix it we don't know where to go we don't know who to talk to they should do it someone should do something goddamn john collins is the motherfucking they on this and to have somebody be so passionate and have to pay such a high personal price shunned by his family the judas of the entire goddamn organization threats against his life threats against his business threats against his family and to stand up against this cult and call it what it is and get other people out of it it's just awe motherfucking inspiring and it's something that i have to take my hat off to him I'm glad to have my friend back in my life and I'm glad to have him as one of our dozens and somebody that uh, we need more of in this world. And it goes to show that it just doesn't matter how hard you beat into a child something that is hateful. If their heart is good and their wiring is correct internally, the, the information that comes out on this planet, much like we were talking about the internet a couple episodes ago, that knowledge is power. It's and it helps save him, and it's now he's saving other people. It's just it's such a beautiful story for me to tell uh, out to all the dozens out there, and many Dave of our platinum uh, dozens will know who John Collins is through just shared history. So uh, that's the story. the The world is a fucking dumpster fire, you know, and I cannot stand religious brainwashing of any fucking kind, but of the kind that teaches racism and hatred at such a young age and, and, and normalizes it before a child can even become a man or a woman. Fuck you. Uh, two, two quick questions. Does he have any siblings? Uh, to my knowledge, I think John has one younger brother. Yes. What is their relationship like? Or do you know? I do not know because I haven't even had the balls to ask him how much of a personal price he has paid. Sure. As, as far as far as I know, his immediate family, not the one, not his wife or his kids, sure. right. but his, 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 his immediate family, the ones I was in the room with when they were staring at the tape deck thinking it was the Wizard of Oz, uh, I think they have shunned him completely. 
And then second question, I think you said this started around 2012, correct? As far as um, his, 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 his uh, education and his escape. Yes, yes it did. Uh, why then specifically? Was there a particular impetus or incident or what? Do you have any uh, info as to what happened around that time that kind of put him in that direction? Or had that kind of just been brewing for a while or do you know? No, I don't know. I can I can actually ask him more later because I know that um, you know he listens to the cast. So I mean, this is this is something that's definitely going to come up. Sure. But um, f- for me, I just know that a lot of it, Dave. People escaping from these cult-like fucking societies, masked, masked as religion of some sort. Okay is the knowledge and power that came from the fucking internet. It was a lot of just researching, well, who is William Branham, really? Who am I fucking listening to? What was he like when he was 15? What did Jim Jones get from him that made him decide to kill everyone with Kool-Aid down in South America? Like, where, where did all this shit come from? Knowledge is one thing. Learning shit's one thing. That's, in my opinion, that's easy. It's the self-knowledge and the self-investigation that's fucking hard. Absolutely. And he fucking did it. I, there's no way. Like, we were on such different paths in life. And I love John. He was always, he always had this sense of mischievousness in him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just a little bit of the fucking devil in him, which is probably why he liked me so much. It's probably why Dr. Eddie Gizmo Gomez liked me so much. Uh, it's one of those things where it's just... You could tell in him there was a lot of quizzical things going on. The mechanism inside his head worked just a little bit quicker than everybody else's. So if somebody was going to escape this bullshit and expose them, of course it was going to be John. Well, of course. Well, it is always interesting to me as well that, uh, like you mentioned Scientology, and, and Scientology was the first thing that came to mind when you mentioned the, the picture that had kind of the, the glossy thing over yeah. the, the head. Like, that was my first thought was the, the whole L. Ron Hubbard kind of deification. There's uh, a lot of cults, even if they're specific beliefs are are different from one another they i mean most of them really utilize the same playbook as far as the the means through which they control their so-called congregations and um it's all based on basic kind of human human psychology and it absolutely very frequently does start at a very young age and kind of uh, the the indoctrinate it easy for me to say indoctrination thereof and that also is is where the internet is both a blessing and a curse because that information is out there to research or to put information out there where you can you know find people that are are trying to to find a way out or or whatnot but it is also a mechanism that can also make it easier to indoctrinate people so it's you know it's it's interesting how there is the the yin and the yang there Absolutely. Yeah, well, I just wanted to put that out there that, yeah, the, the world is a dumpster fire, but, you know, having more John Collins out there to put that motherfucking fire out and right the world is, is a, it's really a, a miracle from someone that doesn't fucking believe in them. So, like I said, if you want to learn more about the William Branham cult, the message and how John Collins is putting a fucking end to it, it's out there. You can research it. Uh, like I said, I'm very proud to have him as, as one of our dozens and uh, a very good friend to have back in my life. And just can't say enough good things about the man. Absolutely. And if uh, anybody has any feedback that they would like to give in regards to their own, whether religious experiences or anything else that we have talked about thus far, Jason, where could they do that? You can always do that at this little known email address known as ask Dave and Jason at excite.com because well, God damn it.
John Collins is awesome. Maybe John could fix Excite. Or is that out or is that a little going a little bit too far even for him? Dude, he could probably fucking buy it. He invited me to his <laughs> yacht on the Ohio River. I was like, you have a yacht? Oh, we're definitely getting back in touch. <laughs> All right. Well let's let's uh let's talk about WrestleMania, Jason. Let's let's do the go home segment on WrestleMania thirty seven. Happened this past weekend. Now, Jason, when you and I talk wrestling on the show, we typically don't talk about specific current events because very rarely is there anything that we feel worthy our time to talk about however wrestlemania is a cultural milestone uh and you know we recently did last week actually did a kind of a segment talking about the various incarnations uh, throughout wrestlemania history and the good the bad and the ugly i think it's worthwhile just kind of briefly discussing this particular event i know it was something that you were incredibly excited about uh so jason why don't you start what were what were your thoughts on uh, on wrestlemania 37 this is only mildly more interesting than the snyder cut to jason bailey what but here here's here hold on a second what what mr what man the deal is that i honestly i loved our wrestlemania segment and wrestlemania usually is highly exciting back in the day when i used to fucking care about the current product they fucking suck the end. Here's what I do know from just happenstance the dozens talking to me and sending me shit that I honestly had no answer for because I didn't care to fucking watch this bullshit. Um, I do know a few things. I'm going to throw them out there, Dave, and then you can, of course, address them whenever you fucking like. Of course. I heard from the dozens uh, that there was a weather problem that delayed some some shit. I heard that uh, Brian Saxton and somebody else fucked up who won the goddamn match that they just watched. They, they got the names wrong. I heard that there was a wardrobe malfunction at some point in time in the two days there, which I could have seen that actually. And then I heard that somebody slipped, tripped, and fall, fell down the goddamn ramp. Heard about that. So we're all, you know, batting a thousand here on, on the fucking show. I'm sure Vince was about ready to blow a gasket. And this is everything that I fucking know about the most glorious thing in our chosen sport dave so that's all i've got what, what can you regale me with i don't know i didn't see it no i'm kidding uh all right so it was it was a two-night event which is the second time in history they've done that they first did it last year to try to make up for the fact that they were doing it out of the performance center it was the first time that they had had live i mean they had had small amounts of live fans at like a couple of nxts and whatever but like on a larger scale it's the first time that they have had live fans back since the beginning of the pandemic i still think personally that was too soon but that's that's a subject for another time we'll we'll see what the pandemic numbers are in a couple of weeks in florida and so the whole thing starts out with vince and the entire roster out on the stage right and vince gives this brief but you know very speech wrestlemania fans are back and blah 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 and uh and then they do the like the um america the beautiful because vince always preferred that song to the star spangled banner and they do the the jets fly over i do and all too that. like all the i do too actually. yeah after, i agree with them actually uh, all the pop and circumstance and boom 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 and then immediately cuts the michael cole at ringside saying that they have to vacate ringside because there is a weather delay <laughs> and for the next 45 minutes they are desperately trying to kill some airtime, trying to wait until they could actually start this goddamn show. 
the funniest thing that I saw on Twitter is somebody said, well, it looks like God's getting his win back after jobbing to Vince McMahon back at Backlash 2006. Uh, I knew he'd fucking pay a price one day, and I guarantee you Shawn Michaels like, how about now, bitch? How about now? If you don't know what we're talking about, just Google Backlash 2006, because that would take a while to explain, and it wouldn't be that interesting, to be all that honest with you. So uh, the interesting thing about it, though, so they had to kill time, so they were going back to the backstage area to do unscripted promos, which Vince nowadays loathes to do. So you could very quickly see who was adept at this type of thing and who was not. Shane was not. He was the first (laughs) one that they threw it to. The dude was already looked like he was sweating buckets and like blown out already. I don't know if he was in the middle of it. It's his pre-workout, dude. He probably fucking takes shit tons of pre-workout just to fucking get up and go. I don't know if that means meth or if he was just like (laughs) running laps or like drinking. I don't know what the hell, but that dude was exhausted before he started. Shane literally sweats as much as fucking Rodney Dangerfield. I've never seen anyone sweat so fucking hard in my life. It's unbelievable. So anyway, that was awkward as hell. Uh, The interviewers clearly don't know what the fuck they're doing. And ever since Renee Young left, they clearly are trying to get all their backstage interviewers to look and sound as much like Renee Young as possible. Like, it's crazy how they really seem to have Uh, an unhealthy fascination with with that lady. Renee Dupree. Yes. Renee Dupree. 100%. Because I I want people to go to her YouTube. Renee Paquette, Jason. Paquette. Because the thing is that I want... I, that's what it was for a second, right? No. Paquette? It's Renee Paquette. Say it. Okay. Renee Paquette, because here's the deal. I want people to go on YouTube and at least see her for who she is because she always wanted to do this fucking podcast thing she's doing now. And she's way better at this because she's just her. Renee Paquette, right? Yes. Okay. And here's another thing. It's called Oral Sessions. Oral sessions that is not on the the uh, Alpha J Pornhub network. That's on YouTube. Please look that up. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Renee Dupree is a different person entirely, Jason. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. Forgive me. <laughs> anyway, uh, so the the saving grace of this segment, Kevin Owens could not have been more at home. They clearly gave him a mic. It's just like, you got like however many minutes you want to give us. And this dude just fucking crushed it old school style. Like he could not have been more at home. Um, the new day did okay. Kind of nonsensical, but it was at least entertaining nonsensical. Um, you know, Shane was bad. Braun Strowman was bad. Bobby Lashley was bad. MVP was passable. Drew started out rough, but then like got himself into a pretty good emotional state. Even if what he was saying, like you believed he was feeling it, even if the words themselves weren't all that compelling. Where was Paul Heyman in all this? Nowhere to be found. That's who you fucking needed. Right. But you know, as I said, they were scrambling. Maybe Paul wasn't in the building because uh, that Roman's match didn't go on till night two. So it's possible that Heyman wasn't there. I don't know. Roman was there because they saw him out on stage for the, you know, that opening Vince speech that everyone had to fucking be out there for. Uh, so anyway, that was just interesting. And in the 37 year history of the event, it's the first time they've ever had like a weather delay, which is interesting for as many times as they've run stadiums, even on the East Coast. Um, 
you know, it didn't even happen when they were running in New York, and they've had some bad weather during some of those. The main event of night one, Sasha Banks, Bianca Belair. I will go through this very quickly. Match was fabulous. If you're going to see one match from Mania, I would recommend either this one or the main event from night two. Both main events just absolutely fucking delivered. Um, as I said, from what I saw of their build, the build looked pretty bad, but their pre-hype video was great. Um, at the beginning of the match, it looked like Belair was a legitimately about to start like tearing up and crying. And I was a little worried about that because I hadn't even locked up yet. And I was thinking like, Sasha, you're the heel slapper if you need to like, <laughs> but, um, you know, Belair hunkered down and they got into it and the match was amazing. There was a spot, Jason where Sasha Banks threw herself out of the ring in a dive onto Belair. Belair caught her, rolled backwards through it, picked her up in a body slam position, gorilla pressed her over her head, walked up the fucking ring steps with her, and threw her back into the ring. I have never seen that before in my goddamn life. They were doing shit like that all night long. Uh, Bianca Belair... Well, I mean, the, the, the female division of WWE has been stronger than the male division for what five six seven years now in my opinion i just think they've they've got better workers better psychology and they're just i don't know i think they can they can tell stories better and they're more athletic even yeah i mean i mean sasha banks has been fabulous ever since she first really got to nxt and has only ever gotten better since then bianca belair is a lot greener but holy i mean what an incredible athlete and they told an incredible story and then there the one other moment i need to mention outside of just saying watch this match was uh bianca belair has a, a super long long ponytail like it goes down to like her ankles and she's used it as a heel in NXT. She'd use it to whip opponents with and stuff. And I think she might have done that once or twice in the Rumble. I forget now. Because she got to this match by winning the Royal Rumble in January. Um, at the end of the match, Sasha had been grabbing her ponytail throughout the entire match and using it to her own advantage and just cheating relentlessly. It was, it was great. Um, last moment, The last moment of the match, she tried to do it again. Bianca yanked her, her ponytail back And then, dude, I thought this was a piped-in sound effect. She whipped her, and it sounded like Indiana Jones' whiplashing off of Sasha's ribs. I seriously thought they had piped in a sound effect. Until it showed after the match, Sasha at ringside, and you saw this massive lash welt across her ribs. It was like, holy fuck, that had to suck. I don't know how they got that type of, like, impact on that. But she this is awesome. It sounded like He-Man figures are fucking fighting each other. Fuck out of her. And then went into the finish, got the got the the KOD, the kiss of death, which is her finishing move. <clears throat> Incredible moment to end the show. Bianca Belair, new champion. Crowd was just going nuts for it. Incredible finish tonight one. That was the right call to make that the main event. Credit to both of those women. It was the first time two black women had main evented WrestleMania. First time two black women had been in a title match at WrestleMania. Um, like there, there was a lot of, of, of history there and they absolutely earned it. They earned every bit of it. And I beg, borrow and steal your way to see that match. Then Roman Reigns, Edge and Daniel Bryan. This match was fucking incredible. Um, you know, it's a toss up as to your own personal preference as to which match would have been better the main, this match or, uh, Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks, very different style of match. They told a very intelligent story because triple threats in WWE are always non DQ immediately. Jey Uso starts interfering left, right, and center, like from, from jump. 
on behalf of Roman Reigns. You just knew this motherfucker was getting taken out early. And sure enough, Edge takes him out with a DDT on the steps. Um, and then they just did a bunch of really innovative, brutal things. They all interacted with each other really well. You got to see great one-on-one interactions with all various combinations of all three of them. There's a great spot where Roman Reigns has not been in front of a live audience, as anyone has, in a year, right? He took this one moment in the match and milked the crowd masterfully for it. He had Brian in a position to do some damage to him, and the crowd started booing him. And Reigns milked that for all it was worth and then did the spot that he was about to do anyway, powerbomb Brian through a table, but did it in response to the crowd booing him. Like, oh, you're booing me? Well, this is what I'm going to do to your fucking hero. And it brought God even more heat with it. And then he was milking their reaction in response to it so that when Edge flew off and speared him two seconds later... It came off as like really in the moment as opposed to something they clearly had worked out ahead of time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Masterful they should have done with him for, for so many years now. Yeah, masterful use of the crowd when they haven't had a crowd there. And Reigns read that perfectly. Um, you know, I don't want to go through move by move. It was an incredible match. They did a double concerto spot at the end. And then, you know, Jey Uso ran back out to, to help Roman again because Roman is the heel. And then they had Reigns uh, bring, you know, uh, Brian had been knocked out with a concerto from Edge. Reigns then knocked out Edge with a concerto. And then he dragged Edge over onto Brian and pinned them both. It was a very striking visual, very well executed when you want Roman Reigns to remain your guy. I think it sets up a blood feud between Edge and Daniel Bryan that I am all there for because uh, I think those two can have a hell of a singles feud and it really looked like that. Because at one point it looked like Edge had the match won and Daniel Bryan pulled the referee out. So I don't think Edge is going to be forgiving of this. Um, they told so many great stories in that match. Another one I highly recommend. Mania was a greater success than I could have expected minus a few really bad hiccups. But night two started off rough, man. It was the Fiend coming back from being burned alive against Randy Orton. Fiend had a great entrance where there was a jack, a gigantic jack-in-the-box. It was like a big wooden crate that had been painted that was next to the ring. And Michael Cole calls it a box-like structure. What? It's a box, Michael. What? <laughs> uh, going back to, to touch on something you, you had said um, uh, earlier about Michael Cole blowing a call. Main event, Sasha Banks, Bianca Belair the night before. Bianca Belair pinned Sasha Banks. Michael Cole is screaming that uh, Banks kicked out. She didn't. It was as clear a pinfall as, as you... I don't want to blame Michael Cole because for all I know, he had Vince McMahon in his ear telling him differently. Probably. So I don't want to blame Michael Cole for that. But as a production, it was bad. Then some guy who was known previously as Dabo Cato, I guess he was a big part of Raw Underground when they were doing that. He came out to help Apollo Crews the commentators who had called this dude on Raw like a bunch of times in the past pretended to not know who he is, and he's like seven feet tall. You're going to recognize him if you saw him in a supermarket, right? And they're pretending to have no idea who this dude is because they're giving him a new character, even though he's the exact same dude that they had been calling from Raw Underground for weeks and weeks. So anyway, that was dumb. They have like a two-minute match, Fiend and, and Randy Orton. It's not very good. That fucking red light is on again the entire time. I thought we'd gotten rid of that goddamn thing. And then all of a sudden, Alexa Bliss shows up again, sitting on top of the box-like structure. She had done a wardrobe change and has now got the Papa Shango goo running down from her forehead. Somehow this is distracting to the Fiend who eats one RKO and is pinned. 
The dude was burned alive, comes back after three months, gets pinned to one RKO after three minutes, and then the thing ends with him staring at Alexa Bliss. The lights go out, they both disappear. Crowd booed the fuck out of this. Bad Bunny and Damian Priest versus The Miz and John Morrison. You're aware this match happened, Jason? No. Okay. I don't. I had no idea. Prior to Royal Rumble, I had no idea who Bad Bunny is. Apparently, he is a massive international recording star. They got a ton of, of press and promotion and, like, hype surrounding this. So, more power to them. I got nothing bad to say about that. Like, not familiar. Like, I'm not in the audience for it, but that doesn't matter. But... Uh, the big thing re- in behind the scenes going into this match is that Damian Priest's back was six different shades of fucked up. So they almost they almost made it. I think they actually announced at one point it'd be a singles match between Bad Bunny and The Miz. And last minute, Priest got you know somehow medically cleared to where they were able to, to put him back in and make it a tag match again. Bad Bunny, the celebrity, worked the majority of this match. And the reason is, is because Priest's back is so fucked up. And I think at that point they had already worked out what a singles match between Bad Bunny and Miz would look like. So they fit most of that in the existing tag structure so that Bunny wouldn't have to learn an entirely new match. Does that make sense? Yeah, Um, absolutely. So... I mean, from a sheer entertainment value standpoint, it was way better than any right to be. Bad Bunny did as good a job as any celebrity coming in possibly could have. And, I mean, that's a credit to also Miz and Morrison for making, like, selflessly look making this dude look like a million dollars. Like, Morrison took a Canadian Destroyer on the floor, which, you know, if you know anything about a Canadian Destroyer, is always the dude doing it to himself. Like, basically, Bunny's holding on to him, and Morrison has to backflip himself into a pile driver. Like, goddamn, man. So anyway, they made this dude look like a million dollars. When Priest was in the ring, he he did a dive over the top rope. At one point, he had Miz up on his shoulders, which if you have disc problems, that had to suck. Um, so credit to those guys for making you know lemonade out of the lemons that they had been given. From a psychology standpoint, it does Miz and Morrison no favors that Bunny is like dominating them with arm drags and Canadian destroyers and dives off the top rope and shit. He was doing all the stuff that like. Not literally, but that, that like Mr. T would have wanted to do in the first WrestleMania that Roddy was like, fuck you, you're not doing any of that to me. You're going to get a fireman's carry and then I'm going to grab you and that's it. Well, because Roddy wanted to make it serious. He wanted to make it realistic that somebody that's not a professional wrestler should not be looking like a fucking professional wrestler inside the ring. And that was the problem. That's the psychology. And that was the problem. Psychologically, it made Miz and Morrison look like goofs because Bunny was just running wild on them. But again, with me not having to worry about booking Miz and Morrison from strictly watching it, it was entertaining. Uh, From a storyline standpoint, it made them look awful. From a professionalism standpoint, they were great and made him look like a million dollars. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Oscar uh, versus Rhea Ripley. I wanted to talk about this one uh, because Rhea Ripley should have gone over Charlotte a year ago. And she didn't. And she lost a year of her career as a result because she's been floundering ever since. Oscar made her look like a star. Rhea Ripley beats Oscar clean with a riptide. I thought it would have gone longer. I was expecting Oscar to kick out when the riptide connected. Uh, but like every other Mania match had people kicking out of finishers left and right. This is the one match where there was a one finisher hit once and it ended the finish and it made the Riptide look fucking like an ender. So I loved that match. It could have gone on longer, but Asuka did what I thought Charlotte should have done a year ago. She really made Rhea Ripley look like a star. Um, the next night, Rhea Ripley and Asuka were going to have a rematch. Charlotte came out and beat the shit out of both of them because we can't have nice things. 
Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Oscar. I'm a huge fan of Rhea Ripley. I am a believer in Charlotte's talent, but think she gets shoved down the throats of the audience in a way not seen since Roman Reigns several years ago. And that looks like that's just going to continue. Um, I don't need Charlotte anywhere near either one of them, even though I think they can have good matches. But um, that's the that's the story there. Rhea Ripley gets the moment she should have had a year ago. I thought Oscar should have beaten Charlotte a couple years ago. This was the match against the two people that should have beaten Charlotte at WrestleMania, Jason. WrestleMania! McIntyre and, and Lashley, which had originally been billed as the main event of night one, and then last minute they changed it to uh, Sasha Banks and uh, Bianca Belair. McIntyre comes out and his entrance is great. Like Vince threw all the money they have currently at pyrotechnics and like they did not spare any expense on the production values for this show. And it did have a special feel with a live audience back. Even as I must mention, even as they were still trying to pipe in crowd noise when people were booing Hulk Hogan. Hulk comes out of with course. Hulk comes of out. Course. Hulk comes out with Titus O'Neil uh, prior to the McIntyre match, and they're clearly still trying to buy time. And the crowd is booing the fuck out of him every time he opens his mouth. Meanwhile, Titus is getting a heartfelt reaction because they love him in in Tampa Bay. Yeah. And, uh, and again, I saw on Twitter, and I can't take credit for it, so, but I, I don't know who originally said it. But it was like, how racist do you have to be to be booed in Florida? <laughs> this is this is just bad. This is them just trying to rewrite his history. It looked like Titus was kind. I mean, I I don't want to speak for Titus O'Neil, but I mean, he looked kind of uncomfortable being up there right next to him. But, uh, you know, again, I can't say that for a fact. So anyway, that was hilarious. So they're trying to pipe in, you know, they still have the, the Thunderdome audio control, even though they have a live audience here. So they're trying to pipe in cheer noise and turn down the booing and all that shit, but you can still tell what's exactly what's going on. It's fucking hilarious. But anyway, McIntyre comes out incredible entrance. Um, you know, he clearly looks very emotional to be out there. Um, you know, I'm sure it meant a lot to Lashley as well, but especially McIntyre because he, you know, main evented last year and, and won the title with no one there and the whole thing. Well, he also said in these interviews on NBC, of course, (laughs) that he was going to be emotional anyway, because his family was actually going to be in attendance that he, that, yeah. that was the big deal for him. Yeah. And it, you could really tell. And I don't, and I mean that in a positive, positive way. Um, I thought they had a great match. I was surprised by the ending where they had Lashley win. Cause like they did this whole thing where they had Lashley or I'm sorry, they had McIntyre as champion. Then they had him lose to the Miz so that then Lashley could beat the Miz a week later. And the, the thought was, well, they wanted to get the title to Lashley, and they didn't want Lashley to beat Drew, so they put it on Miz so Lashley could beat Miz, and then McIntyre can beat Lashley for the belt at the show of shows. That makes sense. Yeah. If you're going to have Lashley win anyway, why not just have him beat McIntyre for the title at Mania and not even bother putting the belt on Miz? Like why go because, through because all that? Because they because they, they don't, don't plan know this out what ahead. They're fucking doing not at all. They don't know what they're doing with the storyline. So I thought, you know, I I don't have an opinion whether it's the right or wrong call as far as Lashley winning. It was strange, uh, but again, I'm glad to see Lashley getting some shine after he first came back and they put him in a love triangle with Lana yeah. and all that bullshit. So you know, uh, I got nothing against him winning. The match itself was well done and enjoyable, and they you know slammed the hell out of each other, and it was fun to watch. And I like McIntyre, and I hope they give him something good after this if he doesn't get a rematch um you know as i said it was it was an odd finish and it makes no sense with the story they were telling leading into it but you know 
I don't have a problem with Lashley as champion, certainly. Me. So that's great. Thanks for the review and the play-by-play, Mr. Shivani. The greatest night in the history of our great sport. Oh, God. Sting! Sting! <laughs> oh, no, no, it's Kevin Nash. It's Kevin Nash. I'm sorry. Mm. And on that note, any final notes, Mr. Bailey? Because we are out of time. No, I just want to say thank you, guys. We did get a lot, a lot of feedback this, uh, this, this last week for shit we did weeks ago. So thank you very much. We do appreciate it. No matter when you drop us a line, we love hearing from you dozens. And uh, yeah, if you like what we do, you know what I always say, telegram, telephone, and tell a motherfucking friend. We're here and we're here to stay. We are one day closer to death. And on that note, I am Dave Beaudry. And I am still your Jason. And for the dozens and dozens. listeners out there, we are one day closer to dead, but that day is not and will not be today. Until next week, folks, let's go home.